Off the Bench is a podcast created by ASCLS that will discuss the scientific and not so scientific ideas in laboratory medicine. We are joined by members of ASCLS, fellow scientists, educators, and researchers, along with those interested in the profession. We share ideas and talk nerdy. Hey guys, Sophia here. Quick disclaimer on today's episode. Today we talk about mental health, specifically burnout in the laboratory and, you know, burnout in the laboratory profession. And by no means are any of us mental health professionals. You know, we're just a group of laboratorians who got together and we really want to talk about this extremely important topic because we wanted to do a couple things. First off, it is May, which is Mental Health Awareness Month, right? So what better time to talk about burnout and feelings of burnout in the laboratory? Second, we know there's a lot of us out there in the lab who feel burnt out. I mean, our profession overall has gone through so much in the past several years, so much. So it's no, no surprise when over 80% of people feel burnt out in the laboratory, right? We, want to know, we also wanted to make this episode to really reach people and tell them, you know, first off, it's okay to not be okay. Second, you're not alone. There are so many of us out there. And when I say us, I mean us. There's so many of us out there. You know, we could be a whole collective at this point. And third, if you're not feeling great, if you need to talk to somebody, if you're feeling these signs of burnout, if you are feeling, you know, anxious, depressed, you know, just out of it, we implore you to, you know, reach out and talk to a mental health professional near you. We want you to know you're not alone. We want you to know it's okay to seek help. And we want you to also know it's okay to not be okay. So, on today's episode. This episode of Off the Bench is sponsored by the University of Cincinnati Online. Are you ready to take the next step in your medical laboratory career? Earn a Master of Science in Medical Laboratory Science Leadership from the University of Cincinnati Online, where you can enhance your skills and knowledge to your next step while staying in the field. Please visit online.uc.edu forward slash MSMLS to learn more. And welcome back to the Off the Bench podcast. I am your host today, Sophia. I am joined with my co-host, Galena. Hello. And then I am also joined by... Hi, everyone. I am Kyle Riding. I am a program director and middle-aged associate professor at the University of Central Florida. Any of my students are listening to this. You are the ones that called me middle-aged. <laughs> and um, I'm excited to have this conversation with you all. I've been practicing now for um, 60, 17 years, 17 years. I thought you said 60, which would have made sense, the middle-aged. And yeah. we might have need to reconsider that. Both, no, I'm not. If I'm practicing for 60 years, so that would make me like 80. I'm, I'm still working at 80. Bless anyone that does that, but that ain't for me. Like I'm already <laughs> at the point where I'm like, dang, retirement sounds wonderful. <laughs> and we're also joined by. Hi, my name is Emily. I am a second year generalist at a 200 bed hospital in Orlando, Florida. And I am uh, perpetually on the verge of a nice menti bee. 
or oh. mental breakdown as the littles call it. Uh, <laughs> I was like, what, what does that mean? So wait, it's an MTB or MBT? No, menti, menti B, like a minty, but menti. Oh, menti. A nice okay. menti breakdown. Oh, yeah, I'm okay. Stuff, and we're, we're like two minutes in, and I'm already learning stuff. Right. And this is perfect because today's topic is actually about burnout, which the reason why I asked Kyle to come to talk to us today is because he very recently has been giving really, really good talks about mindfulness and sort of like how to sort of be careful of burnout or like, not treat, but sort of, again, be mindful of what to do and how you can sort of ease yourself out of that feeling of burnout. So Kyle, just for the people who don't know, like how I don't know, didn't know what MentB was, but now I do, uh, what is burnout exactly? So, um, Sophia, I'm going to just, I'm going to get really nerdy here for a second and just speak to the fact that um, burnout is often looked at as kind of an individual's problem. Like, it, oh, you're just burnt out. You're working too hard. Like, you just need to take a few days off and you'll be fine. But in reality, burnout is um, a diagnosable um, syndrome that's actually been um, characterized by the World Health Organization and its ICD-11 system. And what the World Health Organization says is that burnout is a syndrome um, that's resulting from chronic work workplace stress that has not been successfully managed. And it's characterized by three things. The first, you're feeling like you're energy depleted or exhausted. The second, is you have an increased mental distance from your job or feelings of cynicism towards the job. And finally, you have reduced professional efficacy. And like I said, this isn't like an individual issue. This isn't just a problem for one or two people. Um, back even before the pandemic, there was a study that was done that showed 75% of workers have experienced burnout across the United States. And it costs our our society and our economy upwards of $190 billion a year. Whoa. So it really is like not just an individual thing. And um, before I kind of stop, when I started my career, like I said, it was 17 years ago, people would be like, don't burn yourself out. Burnout prevention's important. You don't want to do that to yourself. And over the past five to six years, even before the pandemic, we're, we have moved on as a society from preventing burnout. We, we just like to cause burnout at this point. Like we set a map, we just like throw it and are like, like there goes your mental health folks because of work. Um, and we've moved on as a society to being able to, or being, um, being necessary to mitigate and um, deal with the symptoms of burnout that you have. Kyle, question. Mm -hmm. What has it always been this pervasive or what is the cause where it's now so entrenched in our society? So uh, in looking at trends in terms of a lot of this has to be self-reported information on mood or feelings of um, enjoyment or cynicism related to work, there certainly has been an upward trajectory over the past um, five to six years, like I mentioned, but it certainly isn't a new concept. And like I mentioned, um, it was the Harvard Business Review where I got that 
uh, 75% of workers have experienced burnout. And that was published, that article in particular was published in 2019. So it it's fairly, it, it is on the incline because of the pandemic, but it certainly um, was heading that way even before little Rona showed up and caused all the issues that she's caused. So it kind of lines up with the whole idea of the, was it the, the silent quitting and the the quitting generation and like all those articles and trends that I've seen as well, I think just lines up with that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And actually, um, it, one of the things with burnout is that you are more than three times uh, more likely to find another job if you're burnt out with your current job. Um, and so it's important to recognize as an industry, this hits us in the lab. And for any of you that are listening right now, you probably know this as much as the four of us know it and feel it at times. Um, and just to give, I'm going to kind of really narrow it down to our profession right now. Um, ASCP, right before the pandemic in 2019, um, they have uh, an amazing group that does research like this and the Wage and Vacancy Survey, and it's led by a woman named Edna Garcia. And she actually found that um, 57, this is a sad statistic, 57% of lab professionals do not feel appreciated by their workplace. 52% of lab professionals feel less excited about their profession, and more than 80% of lab professionals felt that they had experienced burnout. So that was before the pandemic. Let's put on what the chaos of supply chain issues and everything else has been for everybody over the last few years. And it's fair to say that we are not immune, and it does tie into that silent quitting, like you said. And I know personally, I definitely have felt the effects of burnt out, burnout in both lab as well as like even just outside, like, you know, side businesses and stuff and side hustles. But like within the lab itself, like I remember. You side hustle, Sophia? I don't believe that. <laughs> um, I, I do remember there was a time, um, I think it was during COVID. And I was thinking to myself, you know, if I got COVID, that would just be two weeks out of work. And no one would bother me, which is a terrible thing to think because it at the time it was like the one the original like the original variant of COVID, so it was extremely dangerous. But I was just so tired, I was so done. And um, luckily, uh, when I talked to my supervisor, I was like, I think I need a day off. I know I have vacation coming up in two months, but I think I need a day off. And she was like, You're getting that day off. You're we're marking you down as you need it. You need a mental health day, which is which is fantastic. If that boss is listening right now, you're an amazing boss. So good job, boss. <laughs> what about you guys? Have you guys also experienced any signs of burnout or like face burnout? Yeah, of course. I mean, what, I mean, I joined after the pandemic was well, um, I guess, in its deepest throes. And that, um, oh my God, what strain was that? The Omicron strain was absurd for our lab and we were so tight. and. Um, I think something that's pervasive in our culture is two different things. There is the grind culture, the pick up all the overtime, let's go get this bread, any sentiment to that effect. That is definitely, um, I don't know, almost like a, um, 
a call to arms where one person does it and so everybody else is going to do it. We all sort of rally to that call. The other thing is personal martyrdom. Nobody else is doing this, so I'm going to be the one to do it. I have to take care of this. If I don't, it's not going to get done. And I have fallen, I don't want to say victim to, but I have definitely um, taken up both of those shields to bear, I guess you could say. And I'm definitely now trying to pull back and trying to find balance. But yeah, definitely I've experienced, I think the biggest thing that I experience in terms of symptoms is almost um, dissociation where I pull back so hard that I just don't do anything. Oh, that's actually a concept. Uh, uh, we just hosted our clinical laboratory collaborative and our keynote speaker um, talked about uh, functional disassociation and that it's actually one of the oldest tools that we have as humans for managing stress is mm -hmm. we're still functional. We're not disassociating like multiple personality disorder, but when it's, we have fight, flight, or freeze. And when we can't fight and we can't flee, um, we freeze. And at that point we exit in our head. Um, and we're all doing, <laughs> we're all done it at one point and it, and it goes back generationally to our ancestors. Oh yeah. It's how you protect yourself mm -hmm. from any, from incurring any more damage. Is anyone living by the mantra now? I heard this a couple weeks ago and I'm actually, I'll be honest, I'm kind of living by it myself. It's called bare minimum Mondays. No, what is that? And so it's very, I feel very like tied to my cohort as a millennial when I say this, because it, it's kind of derived from the millennials, but it's the idea of the Sunday scaries that come along because you have to work on Monday, which in our industry, you may be working weekends. Like we don't all have the typical Monday through Friday, but regardless of what day of the week your Sunday is, we all get, um, if we're in a, particularly in a state of burnout, we all get that sense of like scary, like, oh man, I have to go back. I have to deal with this. I'm just going to eat all the bad food. I'm going to sit here depressed about it. I'm going to go to bed and toss and turn all night. And we go in and like Emily said, there's something about the healing arts and the healing professions, which we are a part of, where we do a, quite a bit of personal martyrdom. And we do sacrifice ourselves um, thinking that that's the best thing for who we're trying to help, which is patient ultimately, or in, in my case, my students that will be able to do that someday. But in reality, there's a lot of truth to the idea that you have to take care of yourself before you can take care of others. And the bare minimum Monday concept is not disassociation from your job on Mondays, but going in with this mindset of, I am simply going to do what I need to do with my job. I'm not going to push myself. I'm going to ease into the week and I'm going to do that bare minimum. And it sounds really negative because we've created this grind culture, like you said, Emily, where mm -hmm. we always got to be hustling and we already always have to be at 200% productivity and we always need to have 100% in our turnarounds and we always need this and that. But in reality, sometimes it's important to reflect on the fact that the bare minimum of the job in front of us is enough. And so I've been doing that a lot. My Mondays, catching up on email because I refuse to check it on the weekends now and teaching the classes that I need to teach. 
and not driving myself insane anymore, trying to get ahead of things for the week. I was going to say, that just reminds me of a phrase from college, what C's get degrees, just, mm-hmm. just got to skate, got to skate your skate and start your week off nice and nice and slow before you get into it, if you get into it. I think it's interesting that uh, people who work in the laboratory often, or sometimes, transition to other fields because it gains them flexibility and a way to deal with their burnout, right? We're always on an every other weekend shift schedule, or we have to do rotating days and nights. Um, There's a lot of uh, items about our profession that does not allow for flexibility of a work-life balance. And so people leave to a different profession or somewhere, you know, go into lab administration, go up the supervisor, you know, one of the reasons they climb up the ladder, which is one, what I did as I transitioned into uh, lab information systems and lab admin. So now I don't work in the laboratory, but the sense of burnout doesn't go away just because the functionality has transitioned of what you do, because so much of it comes, like you've already mentioned, is grind culture, that's ingrained in your head. And so it doesn't matter. You've removed the stimulus of a doctor calling and yelling at me. You still have the deadlines. You still have so many things that depend on you. And and it doesn't stop just because you move away from that. So um, it's kind of a Spiel, and, <laughs> spiel and, on uh, how moving away from the lab doesn't really solve burnout. No, and you're right, Galena. It's so what you say is you're you're hitting the nail on the head with that statement because I didn't I didn't get into academics to escape the lab, and in fact, I usually had a side gig in the lab to keep my skills current because I I do love what we do. Um, I wouldn't teach it if I didn't, but. Um, the same the same feelings of burnout can still show up in academia like they are for you in lab admin and what i've noticed is the panic that we all feel when the phone rings in the lab and we're worried like is it a physician wanting that that said rate that they just sent us 20 minutes ago <laughs> um or am i about to be yelled at because they want a, a a super stat like creatinine because they have a really critically ill patient and we're hustling on it. We're doing it as fast as we can, but we're still not getting it out any faster than the automation can allow for. Um, that never leaves us. I, I think in the early stages of our careers, we normalize a lot of the stressors that lead to our burnout and it's hard to disconnect those from the reality of what our jobs should be because it's so intrinsically tied into what we do. So even nowadays, the phone rings when I'm in my office. I'm like, brace for impact. What's going on here? Like, what exactly is about to happen? Or if I get an email from my boss, I have an amazing boss who wants me to have balance. Like it sounds Sophia's boss did when you needed that time off. But I see an email from the boss. And it's ingrained in me, like, I must have missed the turnaround time too many times, or I must have done something, you released a wrong result. There's so much ingrained, um, kind of low-key trauma that we face in, in our work that carries forward, and it makes it really difficult to get rid of the burnout until we change those behavioral patterns and change how we're 
we're kind of relating to our work and understanding its place in our life. So with that, as someone who panics whenever she gets an Etsy message, because I'm like, what did I miss? Did I forget to put stickers in a package? Like, is someone asking how fast I can send this out? Will I make it in time for lab week? Um, what are what are some tools that we can use to even like just manage that? Like, I, I know I have some, but I, I want to hear what you have. Oh, my God. Boundaries. Boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. One of the things that I wanted to tack on to what you were talking about, Kyle, where we feel a sense of duty to the patient in terms of, you know, personal martyrdom, that also extends to the Sisyphean problem that we're having with lab staffing and picking up overtime so that our coworkers, the people we do see, the people right in front of us are not suffering. And you can only do that so much there has to come a point where you can say i alone can't fix this and saying here's my limit this is how much i'm going to do I, if it's picking up extra shifts it's i will pick up one or two per pay period or i will pick up this many extra hours or this week i can't do it at all but boundaries are so critical to not overextending yourself i would also add to that that um knowing what burnout looks like in you and that self-reflection I don't know that that's uh encouraged or done or we, we we don't have time to do that reflection so uh I have a wonderful boss and again I never never pressured at work but at the point I realized that I was burnt out is when similarly I got she was calling me and the first thing I said when I picked up the team's call was what did I do wrong? And I stopped myself because I, you know, I vocalized it and there was nothing. And my presumption was I messed up somehow. That's why she's calling, which is rarely if ever, ever happened. And so that, that made me take a pause and say, Oh, that's how it's showing up is when I'm afraid of the phone calls that are coming in. What, what are other ways that burnout shows up? Is there common ways there usually are some really um, common manifestations. Anxiety, um, like you're mentioning and I've mentioned, is one of the number one ways that it can show up. Um, depression, when you're just feeling down and it, it becomes beyond just like having a bad day, it's carrying forward with you in your life. Um, Another one is improper diet and hydration, actually. If you're finding yourself going home after work and binging on a bag of uh, potato chips or a bag of cookies, if you're me, well, actually, if you're me, it will be a carton of ice cream because I'm an ice cream lover. Um, and you're not getting your water, you're just grabbing Diet Coke because you need that caffeine fix or regular Coke if you need the sugar fix. Um, and then finally, the, the one of the other things, because this is this isn't an individual problem, this turns into a much broader sense is is noticing an increase in toxicity uh, amongst you and your team. If your if your work is conducive to burning out, um, it's highly doubtful that you will be the only person facing the anxiety or the depression or the improper diet and hydration. And I can't speak for y'all, but I'm telling you right now, if I don't have my lunch 
and it hits like three o'clock in the afternoon. I am cranky McCrankster, like no one's business. And I may love you as a student or a coworker. Like I may think the highest of you that I possibly can. And I'm still going to be like a nightmare to be around. And it, it all ties in to that idea of it being um, not just an individual's problem, but a larger scale um, kind of social issue. I also want to mention, I'm really glad we're talking about it from the perspective of burnout and the fact that it is okay to, it, you need to be okay with telling yourself if you're burnt out. That's really hard to mm -hmm. do for the personal martyrdom piece that you mentioned, Emily, because we don't want to admit like a kink in the armor. Like we don't want to say that. Like we don't want to say I'm burnt out because you're, for some reason, we've created it as like a sense of your admitting defeat. And what I could not stand during most of the pandemic was the R word, the resilience word. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I was so sick of hearing everyone saying, we need to keep being resilient. You're so resilient. You can do this. You resilient. You know what? Everyone in this profession, everyone in healthcare, and I'm sorry, everyone on the planet showed more resiliency than they ever thought they would need to, nor did they have to during all of that chaos. And we need to stop making it seem like being resilient is some noble thing. It is okay to be burnt out. It is okay to not feel okay. There are ways that we can elevate each other, that we can be there for each other, we can acknowledge each other's feelings of burnout and make sure we're supporting each other. Because there are people that unfortunately, uh, this was also from that Harvard Business Review study, people do harm themselves because of burnout, because of the mood disorders that it brings on. And it's important for us to, to make sure that we're not suffering through or, or saying, oh, you'll be fine. Just, you know, strap on some resiliency and you'll be good. Like resiliency is a pill that cures all. I'm sorry. That word just drove me nuts during all of that. <laughs> I think it's wonderful that it's becoming more and more common to hear it's okay to not be okay, where we're really giving ourselves the grace to acknowledge everything that we have been through and normalize um, any, you know, bad effects that we've taken from that. It, it's true. And I, I'm very fortunate in a lot of ways. Um, I speak openly about the fact that um, I have anxiety, like it doesn't have anything to do with burnout, although burnout does not help me. But I actually have generalized anxiety. I don't hide that fact, because frankly, it's a neurotransmitter mess in my brain at times. And if I were to have, heaven forbid, an infection, I take an antibiotic. If I were to have cancer, I would sit back and get chemotherapy or radiation or immunotherapy. Um, if I had, well, I do have high cholesterol <laughs> these days, um, I'm on a statin. So, I grew up in a very supportive environment where 
understanding that sometimes medication is needed because this is just a biological process is is really powerful and important and you're right emily it is okay to not be okay and there's lots of tools and trained professionals out there who can get us to that point and it's totally okay to see a therapist too like i'm i'm glad that therapy is becoming like more accessible and more of a thing like i i see a therapist I have it. I also have generalized anxiety and I was recently diagnosed with ADHD, which explains so much of my life. But of course, which, when I told people that they're like, well, no, duh. Like, how could you not have known? I didn't know. I had no idea. Mental health wasn't really a thing in my household growing up. So it's becoming more and more accepted, which I, I think is fantastic because we are getting to a point where you're right. Like everything is so ingrained and everyone's starting to feel like all these feelings of this burnout are coming more and more to the forefront. All these feelings of anxiety are coming so much stronger and people are finally acknowledging it and finally doing something for it. Like some of the tips like that, my, my therapist had told me, cause I told him that, you know, with the anxiety and the, and the ADHD at the same time, sometimes if I feel overwhelmed or super stressed out in the lab, I start literally walking in a small tiny circle like spinning in circles because i'm like i need to do this i need to go grab a reagent but i also need to calibrate this oh but i need to get qc and so i start like spiraling like literally spiraling downhill and so he's like all right whenever you have that moment like you know stop feel your feet on the ground then feel your calves and then feel your knees Make sure they're not locked and like, you know, slowly work your way up to your shoulders. Notice your shoulders are like locked in place. Relax them. Count to three. Name three things you see and then write down everything you have to do on a list. And that is one of the like biggest tips that has helped me so much. Bingo. And I want to shout out when you mentioned therapy, Sophia, I want I want to make sure everyone remembers that um, there are most workplaces um, I'm pretty sure I, I want to say pretty much all hospitals or all um, kind of industries that listeners of this podcast would be a part of have an employee assistance program, an EAP. And an EAP is so beneficial and so impactful because they can help you with um, workplace disputes. They can help you with burnout and mental health. And a few years ago, I had a really, I had moved to Florida. Um, I had started a, a new position, not the one I'm in currently. And I had a really traumatic experience with, with a, a person at work. I'm gonna be very generic in how I say this. Um, and it really was really upsetting to me and it just couldn't, would not leave. And so I reached out to the EAP and they, I didn't know a therapist in the area yet. And they connected me with one and they allowed me to start developing really good boundaries like emily said earlier that that really helped me kind of i won't say let go of that, that trauma because trauma isn't just like an on-off switch it, it to, to let me cope with it effectively so i want to make sure you, you do give your eap a shout out or if you have that type of relationship with a coworker, that you definitely advertise it because Heck, you're working hard for your employer and they're willing to pay for a service that can help you use that benefit, like use it. Don't let it go to waste. I think it's very 
pertinent and wonderful that we're having this discussion right now because this is our May podcast, which is uh, Mental Health Awareness Month. Uh, so very timely and appropriate um, to give a shout out to uh, therapy and how wonderful it can be. Absolutely. To that point as well, talking about therapy, I, I, it is wild to me how far we have come in accepting and normalizing therapy in the space of really just a generation. I have a family member, uh, you know, an uncle who went to therapy and his own spouse called him crazy. We are only one generation removed from that type of behavior. And the fact that we've come so far, I think is an absolutely beautiful thing. Um, Sophia, the grounding techniques that you learn are incredible. They are absolutely so helpful in managing in that moment when you find yourself in that anxious situation, something that helps to bring you back to that present moment and get you out of your head so that you can function again, that is so incredibly powerful. And also, if you don't have any EAP or if you don't have coverage through health insurance, there are also um, groups out there that you can register for that will give you, let's say, prorated um, therapy sessions where I and part of one such collective, I'm paying half price for sessions. So I'm able to go that enable that makes it accessible for me where it wasn't before. And also if you're near universities and there's students who are mm -hmm. getting their therapy license, that's actually how I met my therapist. He was trying to get his hours in. So I had a prorator rate as well for a while. And now that he's licensed, I'm still with him and my insurance is now officially covering it and it's even cheaper. Even if we don't have insurance, it's still not a bad price. And actually, yeah, you're right. My, uh, my partner is um, at UCF and is, is getting his therapy through the college as part of his tuition. That's great. Uh, if therapy is not your jam, you don't have the the time, the money, whatever, um, there are, aside from this podcast, so many wonderful tools out there. I'm actually currently reading a wonderful book recommended to me by my therapist. It's called uh, Burnout, The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle. Uh, so it's by Emily and Amelia Nagoski. I, I may be really mispronouncing their last name. So apologies if you're listening, but um, it is very easy to read and, and it's truly wonderful. It, it talks about the why, the background of what the difference between stress and stressor is, um, different signs that, of how that you're dealing with stress and burnout and, and strategies for dealing with stress based on the type of stress it is, you know, whether it's avoidable or not, right? Because um, the, the, the difference between stress and stressor is very important because just because you deal with stress, it doesn't mean your stressor goes away. And so often we have to keep encountering that stressor. So Kyla, I imagine with that coworker of yours, right? Even if you leave work and, and have all these tools at your belt to recenter and ground yourself, well, tomorrow you're facing that person again. Yes. Oh, well, yeah. And well, fortunately it wasn't a coworker, so I'll leave it there. So. <laughs> <laughs> apologies yeah but no i did have to see i did have to continue to see him so no and i i, I just wrote down the name of that book as we're talking because that sounds amazing this episode of off the bench is sponsored by the university of cincinnati online did you know qualified leaders in medical laboratory science are in high demand 
The University of Cincinnati Online's Master's in Medical Laboratory Science Leadership is designed to equip professionals like you with the skills necessary to fulfill these roles. With this fully online program, you can balance your work and life while completing your degree, and the world-class faculty will support you every step of the way. Take the next step in advancing your medical laboratory career. Visit online.uc.edu forward slash MSMLS. So with having these tools of grounding techniques and breathing techniques and such, and just honestly, all these techniques, like in this toolkit, um, I've heard it be known as being mindful or mindfulness techniques, but you know, I've, I've also heard mindfulness be used in so many definitions, but Kyle, what is mindfulness? From an academic um, scholarly standpoint, there's um, this really amazing definition that was put out by the Greater Good magazine out of Berkeley, and it defined mindfulness as um, maintaining a moment-by-moment -moment awareness of our thoughts, feelings, and bodily sensations through a gentle nurturing lens. And I really love that definition because um, it, it is important for us like in the moment when you were doing the body scan that you described, start with your feet, move to your calves, your knees, up to your shoulders, you're doing a body scan and you're just sensing how things are, but you're not judging them. You're not sitting there saying, feet, why are you so cold right now? What is wrong with you, my feet? <laughs> or you're not saying to your shoulders, how dare you be tense right now? Like you sit there and go, all right, my shoulders are tense. I now can accept that and I can try and relax them a little bit. And I can try and bring myself into a space that I know I can work more effectively at. And it's really important, particularly, um, I'll say in any industry, but particularly in our industry, to, to sometimes take that step back and process what you're feeling in the middle of the chaos because if you don't process what you're feeling, it's constantly tearing you apart on the inside while you're trying to run samples or do a diff or manage your team or teach your students. And you need to acknowledge that your thoughts are there and not judge them. Because if you're too busy judging them, you're not gonna be able to identify, cope with, and find useful techniques that can help you overcome those self-sabotaging thoughts that could be present. And so I, I really like to kind of ground mindfulness in that perspective of, of non-judgmental um, kind of sensory um, approaches. And I'm so glad you mentioned body scanning because that's my favorite one to do at the end of the day. Oh, what, what you this brought up for me is how... Uh, negative self-talk impacts and contributes to burnout. And also you could probably add a pinch of imposter syndrome in what you're doing, right? If you're new or transitioning to a new role. Um, and again, going back to show that so much of this is internally created versus externally. Sure, there's external, but. Galena, next time you're going to attack me like that with the imposter <laughs> syndrome line, give the boy a heads up, please, please. <laughs> We need we need a whole we need a whole other episode to talk about imposter syndrome, and I will be there. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm down for that. Um, all the time, constantly, will never go away. I feel like. 
it's it's so true though I, it, it for some reason i i don't know if it's a generational thing um where i think all of us on this conversation right now are millennials and mm -hmm. i i do think that it's very persuasive or very pervasive i should say in our generation but i can't speak to maybe maybe gen z has a uh, has a strong sense of that across their cohort maybe baby boomers do maybe gen x does as well but i just know that there is something beyond burnout in the, our world that is making us all question our worth and validation that's for sure like and my goodness i feel attacked right now <laughs> so in terms of grounding techniques another one that i have to offer that um i use every once in a while is it's you can call it like the five senses if you want to if you want to wrap it up succinctly but using five four three two one going through each of your senses looking around your environment what are five things you can see? Uh, you know, maybe the color of the wall, maybe something outside the window you never noticed before. You know, when was the last time the floor has been mopped in your lab? <laughs> um, <laughs> moving on to what are four things you can feel? And this is very much, you know, is there a vent near me? Is there air? You know, the feeling of your, your clothing on your skin. Three things that you can hear, which God knows in the lab, there are plenty of things to hear. You ever have, Okay, in my lab, we just got rid of some instruments, and it is. Is it too quiet? Eerie. It's eerie how quiet it is in there now. So there's all these things that I had never noticed before. Wow, those uh, those ones screamed a bit, didn't they? Um, two things you can smell. I really hope that you're not smelling too many things in the lab. So maybe a different environment would be good for that. And one thing you can taste Save that one for the break room. But I mean, if you're not using this in the lab, you know, this is a good thing to use outside of the workspace, uh, unless you want to grab a hard candy or something like that. And then also, if you are having anxiety where you're feeling it more physically, um, progressive muscle relaxation. I don't know if any of y'all have ever done this before, but this is really helpful where you sort of tense up one body part at a time, say starting from the ground up. So starting tensing your feet, curling your toes, uh, flexing your calves, squeezing your thighs, moving all the way up through your back, your shoulders, your arms, scrunching up your face, and then releasing all of that with a big exhale really shaves off some of the tension that you can be feeling physically. I, I feel like I do something similar to that when I get home, definitely like after a very long day, I'll just sort of like lay on the floor and sort of like go through like a little, like, not, not like, you know, not, <laughs> not George Michael with the, with the book bag and just like, you know, walking and falling face first. I have done that on purpose a couple of times just for comedic effect, but no, like, just like, you know, laying, like, you know, laying on the ground on my back and then just kind of like going through like going through and like sort of feeling everything on my body and just like slowly doing like stretches and exercises to try to shake the day off essentially but you're also taking grounding very literally very literally grounding and then you know uh I, I know for me if I'm having a particularly rough day I'll also try to do something that either is like actually physical like I'll try to go to for a walk or um 
I haven't gone for a walk lately because uh, another thing I also like to do is sometimes pull up a video game that I know I really enjoy. When uh, I had a really bad day a couple weeks ago, told my husband, okay, we're going to kill some robot dinosaurs, you know, it's time, time to buy Horizon. We're killing some robot dinosaurs tonight, you know, um, doing doing things that way or doing my cross stitch, you know, uh, drawing, trying out new crayons or or color pencils, like trying to experience something that isn't what I experienced earlier in the day, just so I can have like a reset before the night happens. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I feel I, I have a sort of a good humored resentment towards physical activity and how it forces my brain chemistry to change we've all seen that meme like taking my stupid walk for my stupid mental health <laughs> it really does make a difference uh spoiler alert for this burnout book the most efficient way to complete the stress cycle is to run dance swim exercise and movement 20 to 60 minutes a day that's and a lot. Yeah. Okay. That's <laughs> that's a time. Time. 20 minutes. That's not bad. I know. It's such amazing. It's really amazing. The brain chemistry in physical activity, even a simple walk. I was reading about this recently and it's, it's not just like a surge of serotonin that can happen or a surge of like dopamine that can hit. It actually, um, there's some limited evidence right now that's kind of expanding as time goes on that it activates your cannabinoid system. And so you can sometimes get a similar, um, I'll say high as to uh, runner's um, high, like, right? say, yeah, 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 exactly, the runner's high. And so that's kind of where we, that sensation may come from is, um, and I, I do run, I, I don't think I've ever really been stoned off of running, but I certainly do have a high that comes from like a, a different kind of high that comes from it. Um, so it, it is really fascinating. But here's the challenge. Like Emily said with that meme, stupid. I don't want to get up. I don't want to do that right mm -hmm. now. When you're burnt out when you're depressed. The hardest darn thing to do is move. It's insane. It seems so simple to just get up and go for a walk. You can say it to yourself. I'm just going to go for a walk. But it's the hardest thing to do. What that bridges me to is if you don't have the capacity to exercise, and we talked about grounding and mindfulness tools, I also think that it could potentially be paired with, depending on what you do and work with, what habits can you change in your work that will prevent the burnout or help alleviate it? I'll give you an example. Uh, one thing that I noticed as soon as I assessed that I was burnt out is how much of the I spend, a, I want to say 30 to 50%, sometimes way more of my work week in meetings. And in these meetings, I thought was finding myself that I'm multitasking. And so many of us are right, because we've got people that, you know, you ask them a question and they have, they're like, sorry, could you repeat that? So we're all doing it. And so then I noticed how much that was contributing because I wasn't present with the people. And then if I'm not needed there, I ask myself, am I really important? What am I going to glean from this meeting if, if I'm just doing something else? Does that mean I should not be a part of this meeting altogether? Or does that mean is it's okay for you to not do double work? <laughs> You're okay. And that's hard. That's a hard paradigm to like shift away from. 
Yeah, sometimes a meeting really can just be an email follow-up and not everyone, you don't always need your whole team of 25 people to be present for a meeting if just four or five people are really essential. Like, I, I, I think it's okay to not go. And that's something that I've really tried to get better at is just saying, I don't need to be there right now. Like, I don't need to add this stress. This is not a Kyle needs to be there meeting right now. And that's okay. Um, I'm not, there, there's nothing pertinent to the agenda for me. I'm going to move forward and just not feel stressed about it. Now I'll be stressed about it the entire time. Cause again, <laughs> I have to break Guilt. that own narrative in my head, um, that I'm obviously failing by not being present, but, um, that's a, that's a different story for, uh, well, I guess today, but that's, <laughs> that's a long story that we have time for. What would be an equivalent of that kind of advice when it's, you know, a laboratory and working in the laboratory, right? You know, there's no meetings for them to be concerned with, but is there tools, practical things that they can do um, in the lab? Is, is, the, is it the equivalent knowing to ask and speak up and walk away when it's needed or? Um... I, I think what I would need if I was on the bench is just knowing, okay, the routine samples are going to stack up. There's going to be sick people that have routine samples, or there's going to be healthy visit patients that come in and have blood draws for their annual physical. It's going to stack up. It's not going to stop coming. So you know what? If I need to go off to the side for just a few moments and breathe and say, I am okay right now. Allow thoughts to pass through your head, feel your emotions, acknowledge that the emotion's present, and remind yourself, this is temporary. This chaos right now that I'm feeling is temporary. And just giving yourself that chance to step away for a few minutes is okay. And I think that that is something, again, the superhero complex that we build up we don't allow ourselves that we think, oh, my goodness, but what if the phone rings or what if a stat comes in or what if stepping away, just shouting to someone, hey, I'm stepping over to the side for a second. If there's a stat, just holler for me. If your lab is set up for that is fine. You can hear the phone if you've stepped a few steps away, like it'll be okay. The phone's not going to magically not ring if you're not physically right in front. of it. It's still going to ring if you're off to the side. And just knowing that that is okay. And having a management team that doesn't come through the lab and look at folks sitting there like, what are you doing right now? Like, and I'm not saying there's a lot of managers that do that, but being a manager, make sure you step in and say, are you okay right now? You good? What do you need from me? And making sure that like all the awesome managers are out there that do this, create a safe space for everybody. Because um, unfortunately, at one point in my career, I was speaking from history when I started there, I did have to step away for a minute because of a personal issue in my life that was going on. And I actually got kind of chastised for it by the manager, even though the entire team knew I was stepping aside for a minute and knew there was something going on. So lesson don't be that manager like you don't need to be that manager folks like if you go into a management role be positive for your team yeah 
one of the, or rather my, my journey to recognizing self burnout, uh, was actually with, with my one-on-one with my boss. And she asked, how do I recognize when you are stressed? And I was blown away because I don't think I've ever been called to answer that. I love that they did that. I love that they did that. So please, if you're a leader, ask that of your team members, because it not only helps her identify it in me, but it truly started the self-reflection that I've never been like prompted to do before. And I would have just kept, you know, uh, taking notes and multitasking during meetings, (laughs) not trying to figure out, well, hey, I'm actually stressed. How do I figure this out? Goodness, I love that question. That is a wonderful question to ask. You know, we've spent a lot of time today talking about how burnout um, shows up in our field. Personally, uh, what are some techniques uh, that we could utilize uh, in order to manage uh, stress and burnout, how to prevent it um, from many perspectives? Is there, I want to end with kind of a summary of self-care. What, what does it look like? So Kyle. Um, so I would say the most important is, is starting with, um, self-reflection, like we just spoke about Kalina and understanding what the manifestations will be in you and finding, uh, prof- finding yourself in that process and finding professionals that can help you if need be. There is no shame in having burnout and there is no shame in needing professional assistance if needed to get through that burnout. And I think we all need to be making sure we're screaming that from the rooftops for and with each other. Emily, how about you? Really, the most important thing is going to be boundaries, is saying, this is what I was hired to do. This is how much of myself I can give and determining what your limit is and sticking to that and not overextending yourself. If you have the ability to designate a day or like a, an evening off as a me day where you don't do anything else that is work related, where you're not crossing things off the task, where you dedicate a certain amount of time per week to just rejuvenating and just caring for yourself and doing things that fuel you and recharge you. I think, you know, one thing we haven't touched on, uh, but maybe my thought on self-care is recognizing your limits as well and acknowledging when the stress and the burnout is caused by something that we can't help, right? The incoming specimens that are already coming in versus also having the awareness and the self-respect to know when you need to walk away from a job when the burnout is caused by a toxic um, culture, uh, work culture, when you are disrespected by your higher-ups or not heard by your higher-ups. And in having that awareness and strength to, like Kyle said, right? You, uh, there's so many people that, uh, what is it about the uh, jobs of people are searching for new jobs at really high rates um, is big due to burnout. Um, and so knowing when to do that and and uh, being your own spokesperson. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because I've been harping on the uh, internal prevention and management of burnout and you're talking about external, which is something I hadn't really considered. I thought it was all on me. 
So this conversation has been absolutely amazing. And honestly, I think I think we might need to all meet up again later and like revisit other topics like external like external stressors and burnout uh, factors, as well as imposter syndrome that I know uh, probably a lot of us in this field also feel. (laughs) So thank you guys so much. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you, Emily. And thank you, Galena, for just coming on and having this wonderful conversation. And thank you again to our sponsors, which you will hear their message after this. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. And to close this out, Dorian, the Laboratorian. Take it away, Dorian. Hey, thanks, Sophia. Oh, man, that was just such a good conversation. I mean, how cool is it to be able to talk with our colleagues about these experiences that are so universal? Burnout has been a topic that has been so relevant in every profession lately, but I have just recently stumbled across ASCP's Job Satisfaction, Wellbeing, and Burnout Survey of Laboratory Professionals from February of 2020, and I have a lot of thoughts, (laughs) and I'm very eager to stress what I found the most interesting, and hopefully you think so too. So it goes without saying that we laboratorians love what we do, and we have the numbers to show it. Of the people who responded to this survey, 87.5% agree that they have produced worthwhile accomplishments on their job. 85.5% enjoy their work as a laboratory professional. 70.8% feel valued by their colleagues, and 67.2% feel empowered to make work-related decisions. So why then do a whopping 85.3% of respondents report having felt burnout as laboratory professionals? Well, more than 3,000 people gave their answers to the question, What are, or were, the main issues contributing to your burnout? And in doing so, we're able to identify five main issues, those being lack of adequate staffing, heavy workload and pressure to complete all testing, lack of understanding and support from management, lack of control over scheduling, and lack of appreciation, recognition, or respect. Do any of those things sound familiar? Or maybe sound like concerns you yourself have voiced? Approximately two-thirds of respondents agree that their professional values are aligned with those of their department leaders and their institution or organization. Yet, 57.1% disagree that they feel appreciated by their institution, and less than half agree that they feel valued by professionals outside their team or even respected in the field of pathology. This is especially interesting, knowing that level of agreement with feeling appreciated by their institution is also found to have a positive correlation with level of job satisfaction and level of agreement with feeling empowered to make work-related decisions. It goes without saying that we can assume a positive correlation between any number of feeling excited, respected, less stressed, satisfied in being a laboratory professional with higher level of job satisfaction. And 
when you don't have satisfied employees, you see people seeking alternate paths to attain that satisfaction. When asked about changes they may consider to combat their current toils, 44.4% considered changing careers completely, 40% considered getting a similar position in a different lab, 33.4% may seek employment in a related field, 24.9% might retire, and 9.5% would actually do nothing to change their current circumstance. Respondents indicated that they felt these changes would mainly offer better wages, better job benefits, location, flexible schedule, more respect, better work environment, and other things to boot. A comparison between levels of job stress and present burnout showed a statistically significant association between higher levels of job stress and presently experiencing burnout. There is also a statistically significant difference in burnout felt by age group. Those who reported having felt burnout as a laboratory professional were highest among those between the ages of 35 and 44, or comparably having been working as a laboratory professional for between 6 and 30 years. And that high was almost 88% of respondents. And the lowest reported burnout was for those between the ages of 65 and 74. Comparably, those who had been working as laboratory professionals for more than 41 years. And that lowest rate of burnout? 77.5%. I just think that that's so crazy that the lowest reported burnout was still a vast majority at 77.5%. It is completely mind-blowing to listen to these numbers and tempting to have the thought cross your mind to think that maybe it doesn't get better. And it's heartbreaking, isn't it? To know that 53.3% say that they do not feel as excited about being a laboratory professional as they did when they started their career. And I mean, how did we get there where there's still so many people reporting issues with burnout regardless of any factors it seems it looks like we should have figured out the answers by now i mean to take a scientific approach the data is telling us that in order to address burnout in the medical laboratory profession it is important to promote work-life balance Implement supportive policies so that our employees feel heard and seen and respected. Provide resources for coping with stress. And encourage open communication between management and employees. So I ask you, off-the-bench listeners, what are you doing to be more than just a number in a statistic like these? Now, I am genuinely curious to hear what you guys have to say on the matter so continue this discussion with us on the open forum in ascls connect or better yet find us at the joint annual meeting in rhode island next month and let's talk about it there we are so excited to have these conversations with you all so can't wait and we will catch you all next time 
This episode of Off the Bench is sponsored by the University of Cincinnati Online. Take the next step in your medical laboratory career today with the University of Cincinnati Online, earning Master of Science in Medical Laboratory Science Leadership fully online and gain the knowledge and skills needed to advance. Visit online.uc.edu forward slash msmls for more details.